Welcome to this week's GMAT Club podcast. I'm Brian Phoebe, your host. This week we talked to Nate, an applicant from Vietnam who's recently accepted into Harvard Business School. And we talk about his journey, his strategy for admission, and some insider insights and tips about how he selected the school and refi- refined his application, some things he, th- he thinks he did really well that might have helped him, and also his thoughts on how he would approach it again if he was starting from scratch. As always, this episode is brought to you by GMAT Club, the most comprehensive resource on the web for MBA applicants. From robust and curated forums to verified reviews to frequent events, bringing together school representatives and top admissions consultants like me, uh, GMAT Club is where you want to go to help you for every step along the way of your admissions process. And speaking of admissions experts, the folks at GuruFi.com, that's my company, uh, has expert editors to help you build a compelling and unique personal statement that aligns with your values, highlights your experiences, and positions you well in the admissions committee. We have 16 years of experience in getting applicants into top schools. Uh, every year we have our kind of little trophy room. You know, we get guys into Wharton, HBS, Stanford, Columbia. Last year also it was Oxford, Syed, INSEAD. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, Anderson, uh, Northwestern, um, you name it, the top schools, we're getting clients in there every year. And the, our secret sauce is really that we do not have a set pattern that we use for everybody. We make sure that your essay is unique and focuses on your strengths and your journey. We don't have any interest in producing a cookie cutter application from you. And so it's really a two-way process. And so whether you have uh, a draft that you think is maybe a little bit rough and needs to be tightened a little bit and need our editors to shine it up and make it strong. Or if you're really stuck on the personal statement and you don't know how to go, you can schedule a consultation with us and we'll help you build a fantastic personal statement from the ground up that moves the needle for your admissions process. All right, so check us out. That's gurufi.com, G R. G-U-R-U-F-I.com. That's gurufi.com. G-U-R-U-F-I.com. All right. Here's my conversation with Nate. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the GMAT Club podcast. Uh, we're continuing our series where we're spoken with students who have completed their application process and are heading off uh, to business schools in the fall. Last week, we spoke to a student who is going to Wharton. And this week, we're speaking to Nate, who just completed his application process, got his acceptance, and is heading off to Harvard Business School, a small little private school in Massachusetts that many of you have heard of. Um, so good morning to me and good evening to you, Nate. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing really well as well. Thank you. Uh, so mm-hmm. tell us where you are, <laughs> both in the world and, and kind of uh, your mm-hmm. professional background. Yeah, so a little bit about me. So I'm currently uh, based in uh, Saigon or Ho Chi Minh City in uh, Vietnam. I've been in uh, Vietnam for the past three years. Uh, my professional background is a little bit of a mixed bag of everything. So I work in uh, both corporate and then also in startup. So for the past three years, I've been working um, you know, in two startups, one for the summer and one for the past two and a half year. Uh, before that, I worked in uh, corporate. Um, in a cybersecurity firm in uh, Boston, Massachusetts, actually. But all in the tech world, just kind of different segment. And this this time of year, summer, right, is when mm-hmm. people tend to start their application process in earnest. 
Um, almost uh -huh. irrespective of which phase you're going to, this sort of is the time when people are like, okay, I'm going to do this. And they'll start that, mm -hmm. uh, they'll start the ball rolling. So for you, when did you know that business school was going to be the next step for you? Is this a long time thing or was it uh, something mm -hmm. a little bit more recent where you said, okay, I'm going to do this. And you sort of hit the ground running. Um, so how did you kind of know that it was something that you wanted to do or even needed to do? Got it. Yeah, so I think I would lean toward a little bit of later, but uh, with a caveat, right? So I've been business school, have always been kind of on my radar, actually since college. I was very uh, fortunate um, to be in like a mentorship program in my undergrad. And one of my first mentor, who also at that time he was in finance and then he went to business school, it was at HBS actually. And so that's when I f first started hearing about business school before that. Um, you know, I was in the Midwest State School, so not a lot of people go into business school. That concept a little bit foreign. He kind of opened me up to that world. I was intrigued, so I started researching more and, um, you know, thinking of the way maybe I you know, can plan ahead. But I mean, you know, it had been going on for a while, life go on, right? And then I start actually thinking about business school again in earnest after I moving back to Vietnam, uh, working my startup role and thinking about like, you know, logical next step. I was, you know, in my age, I was turning 29, 30. So I figure with four or five year work experience, it would be like a suitable time to kind of go to business school, maybe do some career transition, uh, meeting new people before, you know, I'm not <laughs> being on the wrong side of 30, right? Um, so so that, that was for me. Um, I mean, I've been there for a long time, but I didn't really start like preparing all these components until about like, two and two and a half year ago. Yeah, the, the mentorship thing is, is interesting to me because so mm -hmm. often uh, people, their universe is defined what by what people tell them is possible and what people show mm -hmm. them is possible. And so if you have a mentor mm -hmm. who both, you know, went to Harvard Business School and you're like, oh, that's a real thing mm -hmm. that people can do um, and can talk mm -hmm. to you about it, it makes a huge difference. And so can you say a little bit about the, yes, the mentorship program or that particular person mm -hmm. that sort of, um, and how it is that they informed or guided you or nudged you towards uh, eventually landing at Harvard Business School? Yeah, absolutely. So that's the first one. So I, I was very fortunate to actually have a few of those mentors. Uh, many of them actually went to HBS as well uh, throughout my whole career. So that first one, it was basically, I was in the finance program and it was like a, you know, a selective finance program in my undergrad. And then they do matchmaking with mentor who were already in the in you know the, my university in that program, right? And then that person ended up went to HBS a few years prior. Uh, he helped me with just kind of navigating. Uh, at that time, I was a finance major, so recruiting for finance, introducing me to different people. Also, spent some free time. I would able to go to New York for a networking trip. I talked to him in person and seeing just I think it was inspiring, right? But his story was on so that. He got a summer offer, a return offer from Beer Stern in 2007, and 2008 happened, right? Yikes. And then, yeah, and I would, yeah, nothing. And then he worked his way to a boutique investment bank for about two, three years before laddering into Goldman, and then end up, you know, a few years later at HBS. So I think that kind of opened to me that, right, you know, um, being at, uh, I think, you know, school from my background, not, it, it, it's possible to be one day to, to get there. Uh, and then um, throughout my career, so my also in my first work professional work experience as well, I was fortunate to meet someone in my company in a different department 
who was also an HBS grad. He was also very instrumental in, you know, just guiding me to the application process as well as mentoring me to, you know, doing this different group activity, uh, work uh, activity during my work, like outside of the professional realm, right? It's more of like a social mentorship, um, coffee chat kind of thing that I was building in my in my first row. So I think just having the fortune of meeting different people to a different face and seeing and many of them at HBS and seeing how like I really want to aspire to be like them, it's possible. And then they also like, taught me a lot. So I want to kind of learn from those type of people. So was there anything that you can remember or sort of pinpoint about how they described HBS or their their experience in business school that made you feel mm -hmm. like, hey, that's a place that I would be great in or that could help me or that seemed really mm -hmm. exciting to you? I think what was exciting was, uh, I think a lot of them share about the class size. So I think HBS compared to some other US MBA program has a larger class size. I think it's 950 to 1,000 uh, students. And so, I mean, I think in every class, you don't really get to know everyone, right? You're always gonna have your small group of friends, but you also have that big umbrella and HBS is especially big umbrella of people coming from, you know, all different backgrounds, geographical location, work experience. Uh, and so I think those were intriguing to me because I have met, you know, honestly very outstanding and, you know, kind people that went to HBS from different backgrounds. And I do want to learn from that environment. And, you know, that environment just had a lot of those people. So that was, I think, would attract me more to HBS, which is, I think, not just the caliber, but also the diversity and the, just the number of people that I can meet. Yeah. And so I, I used to teach at Harvard, mm -hmm. and not Harvard Business School, but mm -hmm. the, the university. Um, the college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Was there any sense that, that, the, that the business school's um association with the bigger university did mm -hmm. that play a role in in your your thoughts about the quality part or was it just really the business school for you because i found it's sort of 50 50. Mm -hmm. i would say i mean harvard college I, I didn't go to college to any private I, I went to public school uh university in college so that was less of a factor for me i, I know harvard college is ex exceptional but at the same time i think that most of my interaction work with alumni and current students at the business school. And I found that was the most rewarding. I mean, they also have separate campus, right? So that, that I've spent uh, most of my uh, time or interaction, um, you know, on the other side of the Charles River. Yeah, that's, I think, you know, one of the funny things is that having helped a, you know, a fair number of my clients get into Harvard Business School and when I'll talk to them about, you know, what they expect and then some years later when we'll touch base again, um, or even mm -hmm. when I'll talk to them while they're at Harvard Business School, one of the funny things is that you sort of say like, look, there's this amazing university that almost every program, graduate and undergraduate, is really top notch. But you really do end up mm -hmm. mostly being in the business school world, right? So like, you know, the Alston campus is separated a little bit from the rest of the university. And it's just okay. a pretty intense mm -hmm. experience where... It's not like you have, you know, tons of free afternoons to say, let's go find out what's going on in the physics department or something. Um, it is a little bit of a separate experience. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about um, your decision uh, to go back to Vietnam, uh, partly because mm -hmm. I think it informs your journey, but also I think it's, mm -hmm. Vietnam has a really cool thing going on right now with its economy. Mm -hmm. um, and, mm -hmm. and so... Tell me a little bit about your decision to to make that move and, and also what you did there. 
Yes. Uh, so I moved back to Vietnam in uh, July 2020. So that was like the height of, you know, uh, COVID, lockdown, all that. I think both in the U.S. and in Vietnam. I went back for a few reasons. I think um, at my current job, there was some change, right? Uh, there was a restructuring. So basically the company that I work for, um, the, the parent company sold it off to private equity. So I was looking at, you know, layering to a different roles, maybe kind of expand my horizon. I was looking just in you know, a new role for growth, right? And that just didn't happen because of a restructuring and COVID. Uh, and then also uh, I had some visa situation as well that <laughs> required me to go back to my home country. But yeah, I'm, I mean, I was excited to just, um, you know, learning. And I've been in my role for about three years. So I was looking for something different, something a little bit faster paced something that, you know, I can just learn more. So that, you know, going back to the, the country, I wasn't, going back to Vietnam wasn't the hard decision. I think it was tougher um, after going back, right? The country was still kind of on the semi-lockdown, the economy was still recovering. It was tougher to find a role that kind of fit with my criteria. I mean, there are different roles in different industry. I did consider joining a bank and stuff, but it was just didn't feel right. And it took me a while to just find the uh, startup role. And, you know, it all, it, it all happened, right? Um, Heinstein, um, the founder, was an HBS dropout. And uh, one of my mentors who also went to HBS actually introduced me to the founder. And then, you know, because the, the, the startup at that time was small, it was about 12, 13 people. They were trying to roll out with the first uh, few clients in FinTech. And it was really close to my house, like about 10 minutes from my house. Uh, driving so um yeah it ended up just all happened uh, at that at that time but yeah i've been working for that startup for about two and a half year before you know business school decision and now i i trying out uh, in a different startup all right so now let's jump into kind of mm -hmm. the nitty-gritty of the business school okay, process because i think that mm -hmm. for a lot of people who are trying to make their own map the most useful advice is often people who have most recently done this and kind of putting together a mishmash of their experiences to see how they can move forward. So you, at some point you decide, okay, business school is for me. And you'd had these connections mm -hmm. with HBS. Did you put all of your eggs in that basket or did you kind of, you know, safety schools might be a little bit um, <laughs> disrespectful to other, other schools, but secondary mm -hmm. options will come. Right. Um, how did you, how did you approach that part of the decision-making process? Yeah, so I think school selection and that kind of also evolved over time as well because I applied in two rounds, applied in round one and round two, and also decided to apply to a few additional uh, school in round two. Um, just because I think I, I got my round one result and it wasn't optimal, so that kind of made me kind of retake my criteria, right? Like, what would I be happy with? Um, you know, what in what environment? Uh, what would help me to kind of satisfy my short-term and long-term goal? Short-term goal would be, you know, moving back to the U.S., um, working in tech, um, and, you know, long-term goal probably somewhere in tech, working in strategy or product. So, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, the top M7 or top three, right? So I expand that on to more top 15 business school. And, I mean, certain schools have, I think, different, I mean, most of the class are very diverse. But I think certain schools are, I think, very strong, a little lean towards certain industry, I think. Example, right? I think Wharton or NYU or Columbia probably have a very strong finance presence, even though yeah. the other products are excellent as well. West Coast, you say Berkeley, Stanford, 
um, you know, UCLA, probably strong in tech. So for mm-hmm. me, like I were working in tech, so I did apply to like Stanford, MIT, um, Berkeley, and you know, sometimes it's cool, like Fuqua and Ross also have a strong tech presence or recruiting as well. So that kind of factor into my decision. Um, and it, it changed a little bit over time, more like just expanding, you know, lift of school out. And at the start of the process, when you broke it down mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, the GMAT, personal statements, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, other essays, et cetera, recommendations, um, which part gave you the most trepidation or were you like, ah, this, this is like the thing that's, that's going to be my main hurdle? I will say the first hurdle I choose to do, right, before tackling, you know, actually going to the school selection with the standardized test. I took the GMAT. It took me a while. I mean, I started the GMAT um, after I went back to Vietnam. So, you know, August, uh, September 2020. And it took me, you know, close to two years until like May 2022 until I complete that part. It took me a few trial and error. I worked through a lot of different material, a lot of different tests went to gmat club a lot but did a few um you know try a few software as well that gmat club promote um and yeah finally got a score that i wasn't like you know i i wish i could have a higher score but i you know at that time i think it was time for me to focus on the other part of the application process but then yeah i mean that part took the longest probably the most painful and the second is probably the essay but yeah the other part i think was more straightforward yeah, and I think that's the a wise choice. Mm-hmm. I said before on this mm-hmm. podcast that, um, you know, especially if, you know, I think it's harder maybe for people who, um, because the GMAT, unlike like the LSAT, for example, for law school students, like most mm-hmm. most people take it, the LSAT, uh, closer to when they graduated college than mm-hmm. uh, people who will take the GMAT for like people like you, right? The and so you've been out of school a little bit longer. And so even like the mm-hmm. shaking off the rust of like test taking, right? Um, because I yeah. bet that had you, you know, if for whatever reason, if you'd taken the GMAT in your senior year of college, like you would have had those muscles, mm-hmm. you know, and it have been easier. Um, and so you get that out of the way and then you move. And one of the things mm-hmm. um, that I, I think is always funny and I always, is Harvard's personal statement is notoriously mm-hmm. vague. And it's almost like a trap. <laughs> it's like, hey, write about anything you want, right? Um, it's not quite mm-hmm. the language they use, but it's other places like Stanford, for example, they have these much more targeted also, essays. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. what's most important to you and why? And then the second essay, like, why mm-hmm. do you want to come to Stanford? Harvard is just like, either dazzle me or hang yourself with your own rope. <laughs> so how, how did you approach, uh, do you remember how you approached the Harvard Business School essay and, and kind of... Um, the themes that you wanted to hit in it? Yeah, so I mean, I, I also funny you mentioned Stanford because I did Stanford in round one and I thought that was very helpful. I think I got that advice from uh, someone who applied you know, the year before me that, you know, either go with Harvard or Stanford first. Of course, I think the writing requirement is more rigorous and I think the writing problem, I think the essay problem is also I, in my personal opinion, more challenging some some of the other program, which is probably more vague. You can go in any direction. So I think going with Stanford first, I think really helped me to kind of like getting that muscle back, right? In reflection, in just writing draft, writing prompt. That being said, I think Harvard still took a while. 
I think uh, I didn't have a draft that I felt, you know, that was like truly representative of me and my values that I feel like when I read it, I enjoy reading. Probably one week or five days before the deadline for round mm. two. And I end up tearing that essay down probably at least a couple of times. My, my, yeah, Harvard, I probably write the most draft, probably about like 18 or 19 drafts. So, yeah, I mean, however, it was a challenge, but it, I think we're also in the process of finding what best represents me and my values. And originally, I was going for something of like, hey, you know, Harvard, one of their three key qualities they're looking for was leadership. Let's write a lot about leadership, right? Or let's write a lot about the impact that I made to different locations. But then the story felt really disjoint. I didn't enjoy reading it. I think it was just different small stories, like a big essay. It didn't. It just didn't feel great reading it. So I end up, you know, talking to my support system. Um, you know, reading more. Maybe I, I read some sample essay as well of Miss Student just for inspiration. It didn't end up, you know, really doing anything with my writing style. But it was just more like, hey, that's inspiring, and I was a little bit burned out. But then, you know, it, it took a while, Zig and Zach, and finding it ended up being something more about what my core value is and how it joined all this different experience. And I think that was the version that I felt the most happy about, and I felt that like I enjoy reading it. Yeah, the, the two interesting things that you mm -hmm. said, first is um, that you didn't feel like your original drafts, that you would enjoy reading them. That is such a mm -hmm. great way to think about it, because... Partly is like a good essay should be interesting to read, just like full stop. Mm -hmm. But the second thing is one thing to always think about with this process is that, you know, you people can think of admissions almost like, you know, this magical oracle that you send things off to and they send you back this, you know, truth from Mount Olympus or something like that. It's not really mm -hmm. like that. These are people in offices mm -hmm. who have to read through essays. If you have mm -hmm. an an essay that is interesting, as someone who's done this, like when you're on essay number 40 for your day and it's just another <laughs> kind of boilerplate, like I've read it a thousand times before, it won't pop. Mm -hmm. But if it's well-written and it is interesting and you enjoy reading it, mm -hmm. you know, that makes a difference. And, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's not the application process. Yes, it is about core metrics. It is about, you know, qualifications, experience, et cetera. But you, you have to be able to tell that through a story that that engages the reader. Um, and then mm -hmm. your second point about Stanford, I, I hadn't actually really thought about it in this explicit terms, but it rings true to me, which is, mm -hmm. you know, if four people who are applying to both of them, um, the Stanford essay is a great way to start, I think, from my perspective, because it asks something that every business school essay or almost all of them are basically asking is like what matters most to you and why right like give us something about what's important to you what are your values what do you care about um because a good personal statement links the past and the future right and and your values mm -hmm. should be the thread that connects those things and so when you say like what do you mm -hmm. care about this is something hopefully that you have demonstrated in your past and it also explains mm -hmm. what you're going to do in the future. So if you start there, um, and it sounds like this was the case with you, and you correct me if I'm wrong, that you mm -hmm. ended up coming back in your Harvard essay to sort of talking about that same thing, like it, the, your values and what was important to you end up being the central organizing thought of your uh, Harvard essay? Yeah, I mean, I have this 
in a little bit more track. So I applied Stanford in round one, right? And I, I guess if I could do it again, I probably will spend more time on my Stanford draft. But I, you know, you couldn't go back to the past. But um, I mean, yes. So I think there was trade of it, but it wasn't very clear. I think in my Stanford essay, it was the example and maybe the core value that I want to deliver. But I think learning from the Stanford essay, right, reflecting back on what worked, what doesn't, I think helped me to be more prepared, helped me, I think, to have a kind of head start, so to speak, when I start writing the Harvard essay. And from the moment that you got um, mm -hmm. accepted into HBS, how has that process been? Because I know that one of the things the last few years that people have, uh, the schools have become much more um, assertive about is quickly onboarding people within the community. And so have you already started to make relationships and stuff within the HBS uh, student body, like you make making connections with future classmates and things like that? Oh, so uh, the question is, seem like I admit that I, you know, talk to a future classmate, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, we have a Slack group for admit students. So, and and I mean, as I mentioned uh, originally, was that you know one of the things that attracted me to Harvard was just the experience, the diverse pe people in terms of the wisdom that people can share. So yeah, I mean, I was very fortunate that some of my uh, future classmates actually came to Vietnam to visit, so would be able to be a value to them, you know, as a tour guide or just giving out, you know, different place recommendation. But also being able to talk online, right, um, to people that either share similar interests, whether it's in product, sport, or, you know, just in emerging market, or, you know, people who don't have common interests, but then just want to learn more about their background. And one of the, it's, it's good that I can ask you this, because I know your story mm -hmm. ends well, right? But I want to mm -hmm. talk about some of the things that are maybe mistakes that you made or things that you would do differently, uh -huh. right? So start with maybe something that you cared about during the application process maybe too much mm -hmm. and in retrospect like that, that was maybe something i freaked out over or like i invested too much time and energy into but it turned out not to be important was there anything like that i mean i you know I, I, after i got my like last and highest you know gmat score right and there was a part of me who would like let's just keep going because it wasn't the test score that I, you know, envisioned myself would be with the effort that I put in. But there was also a part of me like, hey, the, this score is around like the median, right? I don't know if it will make me a competitive candidate. I, I wasn't a traditional candidate in the sense that, I, you know, I didn't do consulting or high finance. I didn't went to target undergrad, whatever. So there was a lot of insecurity of just, you know, I, I, I don't know, if, you know, having this, you know, very... In a way, right, average GMAT score going to help my case. But at the same time, I think that was a relation of like, hey, so it was May of 2022. I want to be able to apply around one. They, they need to be trade off, right? And there was just to be very realistic, um, you know, reflection on whether, you know, if I spend more time, is there any guarantee that I could get a higher score? So that took me a while. Took me, it was a stressful process because I do spend a lot of time and effort onto uh, the GMAT. I would say, you know, the other stuff, right? Um, I, I mentioned, uh, I think if I start a little bit earlier on the Stanford uh, writing essay, I think I might be able to write an essay that is more reflection of me and maybe better prepare. Who knows, you know, it, it already happened in the past. Um, other than that, I think, you know, I, I, I did my first interview, right, in round one. It didn't 
you know, it, I think it went okay, but then I didn't get an offer. So that really drove me in my, you know, second round, uh, sorry, round two interviews to just be go above and beyond. I think, you know, once you get an interview invite, it's like treat it as like your only interview invite, right? So I really, I, I think in my opinion, over-prepare for that. But then that, I think, I didn't regret that, even though it was stressful at times, because I think that gave me the, I think just the peace in mind that I did the best I could. So, you know, there's no regret for whatever that happened. So in concrete terms, when you say that you over-prepared mm-hmm. or you prepared for interviews, what was that? Just mock interviews, uh, researching the school mm-hmm. more, clarifying mm-hmm. your own thoughts about your future so you can sort of give clear description. What was, what was it that you were doing to prepare for the interview? Yes, uh, I would say mock interview for me. Um, I mean, I did mock interview in round one as well. But I think, you know, in round two, I was trying to be very concrete, very clear in my answer, um, you know, not memorizing, but really understanding the answer, what they were looking for, um, how do my answer align with the value of different school? Well, different school have a little bit different set in you know, terms of the value, the criteria that they were looking for. Uh, talking to as many alumni as possible, um, you know, if they if they are happy, then you know, do a mock interview with them. If not, really understanding how what their experience at their school is, what their recruiting aligned, uh, and then yeah, doing you know after all this mock interview, right, having the feedback, trying to refine the answer, and then just rinse and repeat, do it over and over again. So I think for any interview, I would do you know three to five mock interview. Okay, and just so you... that I think just mm-hmm. no, go, go ahead. ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and I mean, just, and for me, that was just like, because I do want to present, you know, the best version of myself to the committee for so they understand the most of me. And I mean, I, I understand myself that sometimes, you know, if I'm not well prepared, I get nervous, I start rambling, and that may not be the version of myself that I want to present to the committee. So that's why, you know, better to be, for me, better to be overkill. Yeah, and that's really important in terms of mm-hmm. interviewing is to understand your conversational style, your interview style mm-hmm. um, and preparation. And you can tell me if this was your experience, every interview that I've ever been through mm-hmm. at the mm-hmm. end of it, my, my experience was my goodness, that went fast. And it's like, mm-hmm. I went with like, mm-hmm. okay, I'm going to talk about these 10 things and you talk about two of them. Right. And, and right. So, yeah. You know, Absolutely. but the, all that over preparation, what it does is mm-hmm. it puts you in the mind, the right mind space to be like comfortable mm-hmm. and calm and to genuinely engage with the person, uh, you know, because mm-hmm. I'll tell people all the time, like, do not memorize answers. That is a terrible mm-hmm. thing for two reasons. One, if you memorize, you get in this mode of I've got to say word for word exactly this thing and you start to freak out. And second, mm-hmm. you often not directly answer the thing that was asked. And exactly. if, if someone yep. says like, you know, what do you think about A? And you say, well, I mm-hmm. think B is really interesting. And you have this <laughs> you know, very eloquent response that is not responsive. And that's, that's a bad idea. And so for me, it, preparation has been n- mostly kind of a psychological thing. Like for me to go mm-hmm. in and project calm and confidence. Got it. Yeah, I was, I, I completely agree with what you said in terms of, you know, it's not memorization and practicing robotic, but Yes, one number one, uh, just be confident that you already know your stuff. If you don't know your stuff, then you need to kind of, you know, reflect and do understanding what you are about, right? So that when you answer, 
um, you answer the questions that would ask and it doesn't come across robotically. So for me, that takes practice, that takes preparation, that takes calmness. And I think one additional thing that I would mention, uh, this was one of my mentors who taught me, right? And it had almost nothing to do with interview preparation. It was, you know, just being in a mode of, you know, once you, let's just say like, for me, it was like two or three hours before interview time, right? It's time to really just close the book the best you can. It's now about like breathing. It's now about like staying calm, staying the, the moment, uh, you know, being at peace, right? Uh, whatever that helps, whether it's breathing to your stomach, to your nose, um, you know, whether it is, you know, drinking water, whether it's just taking your whole mind off it. So being, I think, in, being in the right mindset um, was tremendously helpful for me as well. Yeah. And of course, you know, the, mm -hmm. <laughs> having also interviewed people, one of the funny things is the number of people who get the uh, things you should have learned in kindergarten wrong, like being mm -hmm. polite, you know, yours was probably Zoom interviews, but it used to be the case that yeah. these were all like in-person interviews, being nice mm -hmm. to receptionists, <laughs> they, you know, uh, mm -hmm. because they have a lot of say and power behind the scenes in terms of like, if they say that guy was really rude, then it makes a difference. All of those things, um, you know, you can over-prepare and, you know, be ready to talk about kind of high level things. But if you don't come across as like a, a nice, engaging, thoughtful person, that will that will also sink you. Um, before we go, I, I do want to, mm -hmm. it's the last question I always ask um, the, mm -hmm. the student applicants when they're on here. If you could go back, right, and, and talk to uh -huh. yourself at the beginning of this process. So, you know, two years ago or whenever it was that you first started, you know, the, the GMAT club, what would you tell yourself mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, either some form of reassurance or specific mm -hmm. advice uh, for this process? I would say if I could go back to myself two years ago, I think two years ago, uh, you know, you know, either the time when I just started my new job in the startup, right? Everything was so hectic. And then I wouldn't know, like, I, I mean, I, I don't even know if I got a chance to one of the top business school. It just wasn't re very realistic back then, you know, coming back, having some gap time just to finding a job. Uh, I would just, you know, tell myself to just keep going. Hopefully take things a little easier. I think I put a lot of stress in myself in that time uh, with all the expectation. I, I think things are going to be okay if you keep working hard. Uh, I mean, I, I was, you know, going back and forth, I would still work hard as I, I did throughout the whole process, right? But, you know, just to be, um, and yeah, I think may, maybe, uh, what, what else would I tell myself? Hmm. A great question. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I would say just, you know, um, be more calm, uh, understand, trust the process, like they, like they would say. Um, don't put too much stress on yourself and really, and you'll be grateful or appreciate my support system because that, that was what also what helped me to get to this whole process. Yeah, I think that's a great place to end because, um, mm -hmm. you know, for people who have spouses, they're a huge part of this process, your friend network, your family mm -hmm. network. Um, mm -hmm. I always say that have an explicit conversation with them. Like, Hey, this is, it, it's going to get bumpy here for the next few months. And especially like, if you're still working, it's going to be a lot of time pressure. Mm -hmm. So if you have that conversation, like, look, here's how you can help me. And if there are things that I can do, um, let me know, because it really is almost like a community journey. And one of the nice things about your, this conversation that we've had is the mm -hmm. sense that I got that you relied on and were informed by lots of different people around you who had your best interests in mind and that helped you Absolutely. get uh, ultimately to where you're going, um, mm -hmm. which is, you know, arguably the best business school in the world. Um, so 
Um, Nate, I really want to thank you for your time. And mm -hmm. once again, congratulations and uh, best sure. of luck to you. Uh, and I, I hope that you have a great time the next couple of years in my old stomping ground and uh, mm -hmm. just outside of Boston. Thank you. I appreciate it. I think one of the things that I would um, just maybe like a parting word to applicants, because I get this a lot, question a lot, right, from some of the people who ask me for, you know, advice and stuff. So like, you know, people ask me about like, hey, what made you stand out or what the admission officer looking for, right, in a school like HBS? The, the honest answer is I don't know, right? Yeah. I, I honestly don't know what, you know, the criteria that they're selecting are. Like I mentioned to you, I'm a, a little bit more on the non-traditional side, had a little bit of zigzag in my career. So a little bit more unique, but I wouldn't say something that it like super stand out in the traditional sense, right? What I can say is that, you know, this process is, like you mentioned, is from the adcom, they're human too. So it's somewhat subjective. Right. And I mean, the best thing as an applicant we can do is just basically preparing the best version of ourselves, not worrying about, you know, what's the adcom thing or what's the secret sauce are, or, you know, I think, I think understanding what makes you unique, but not trying to find an angle instead of just being the best version of yourself. I think that would, would be helpful. That's fantastic. That really is. Mm -hmm. I've told people all the time, anyone who tells you, like I can get you into Harvard or Wharton, hundred percent guaranteed. Run away. The mm -hmm. best that you can always do is maximize your chances because it is highly Absolutely. subjective, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and there there is no secret formula. There are ways to do it better mm -hmm. and worse, but a perfect way to end this. Um, thank you very thank much. Thank you. Thank you. For this week's consultant corner, I want to build on something that Nate talked about. Uh, in our conversation with him, he referenced the fact that he used a lot of the resources that are on GMAT Club, including looking at a lot of sample essays for people who'd gotten into Harvard Business School. Now, these are a fantastic resource. You can find them both on GMAT Club, where people will share their essays. And also, there are books uh, that are out there that are, you know, just a compilation of um, essays, personal statements for people who've gotten into various schools. Uh, I would recommend this as a really good resource uh, at the start of, of kind of planning and thinking about your own personal statement. That having been said, I want to just highlight three things that will help you use this particular resource a little bit more effectively. First thing is, don't try to replicate these essays. The purpose of looking at them isn't to read these essays and say, okay, how can I make mine exactly like these? Your life your hopes and aspirations, your experiences, successes, stumbles, all of those things are your own. They're unique. Your personal statement needs to be personal. So you should not try to shoehorn your life into somebody else's mold. More broadly than that, it's also true that admissions committees are looking to uh, admit a really diverse class in a lot of different ways, uh, not just demographically, but also in terms of different people's experiences, what they hope to do. And so, you know, if you see an essay that you really like, um, it's not going to be the case that everybody who applies to the school is going to have an essay exactly like that. There's going to be many kinds of essays, all right? And so the trick isn't to copy what they do in a really kind of specific and particular sense. It's instead to read it to get a sense of the kinds of things that people highlight, the kinds of tone, et cetera, that they use, and use that to inform your approach. Which brings me to point number two, be an active reader. And what I mean by that is as you read through these essays of successful applicants, take notes, all right? Write down 
what you liked and maybe what you even didn't like about the essay, um, what you thought about their approach, their ideas, and their experiences, and particularly if any of them kind of parallel yours. But also, and this is the really important part, is as you're reading, if someone maybe did something similar to you or they have uh, kind of their basic life beats are in some ways similar to you. Also note down how you would put your own spin on that story. What's different about your trajectory? What's different about your aspirations? And you're doing this so that you are sort of building loosely on the scaffolding that these essays or the inspirations that these essays are providing, but it still maintains its consistency as your essay. It is not a copy of something else. Uh, or it's not a remix of somebody else's. This needs to, you know, from the rooter to the tutor, as they say, it needs to be your essay. Third and finally, read a lot of essays and kind of group them by school is probably the easiest and the smartest way to do this. Uh, and keep in mind that the admissions process should always be a two-way street. This is one of those things that people a lot of times struggle with. It's an idea that, like, you just assume that the whole purpose of the admissions process is they're judging you, but it also needs to be the case that you are judging them. So think about whether or not the kinds of people that are being accepted into the school would be a good fit for someone like you in your journey. And remember that throughout the application process, yes, you do want to put your best foot forward, and it can sometimes feel like you're getting your competitive juices, like you really want to get into a school, but maintain an open mind. Every single part of the application process, you need to be judging whether or not this school is a good fit for you. And reading the, the essays of admitted students can give you a, a sense of that. Once again, I want to thank Nate uh, for giving us his insights on his journey to Harvard Business School. And as always, this episode is brought to you by GMAT Club, the most comprehensive resource on the web for MBA applicants, and GuruFi.com, my company that helps people with their personal statements, helping them either build them from scratch, or if they have a draft but they're not 100% confident in it yet, we can help you get that draft into a final version that really shines and is tight and moves the needle on your admissions experience. In terms of GMAT Club, make sure that you check out the site. It has really well-curated forums, uh, a really robust and varied set of resources for everything from, you know, making you better at the standardized tests, uh, the GMAT, um, to people who, like us, help you with the personal statements, to a lot of forums, sort of going over the different strengths of the schools, etc. In terms of GuruFi.com, our expert editors can help you build a compelling personal statement, so do check us out. That's GuruFi.com, G-U-R-U-F-I.com. Our expert editors can help you build a compelling, unique personal statement that aligns with your values, highlights your experiences, and positions you well in, in the eyes of the admissions committee. Again, our purpose at GuruFi.com is to make sure that you have a personal statement that is personal and unique, not a cookie cutter. Whether you have a draft that's rough around the edges and need somebody to tighten it up and make it shine, or if you've had a draft and you just need help getting off the ground, we're the folks for you. Every year, we get applicants into top schools like Wharton, HBS, Stanford, Oxford, Syed, NSAID, et cetera, et cetera. And we're really excited to help you. So check us out at gurufi.com, G-U-R-U-F-I.com. And we'll see you again next week for another episode of the GMAT Club podcast, providing you with information and insider tips to help you in your MBA application. Good luck to all the applicants out there.